welcome, welcome. We are in our third week of our Luke series, the Gospel of Luke, Rethink and Refresh. Um, so we're spending a few weeks going through chunks of the, the Gospel of Luke and looking, about, uh, looking at some core truths that we learn about Jesus um, and, and faith as we go through uh, Luke. Uh, and through Luke, we also get the opportunity to be, both be um, reminded uh, and challenged about what we believe to be true and how that plays out in our lives. So it's a, it's a great book. Um, if you haven't spent time sort of reading through Luke um, in your own devotions or whatnot, it's a, it's a fantastic gospel to go through. Um, so please, yeah, make sure you spend the time doing that. Uh, this is our third week. Uh, so Pastor Paul brought us uh, the first message of the, the series a few weeks ago, and he, he shared some helpful background information uh, and insights on the author and the history of the book. So it's definitely worth a listen if you weren't around to listen to the first week of our series. So please make sure you do that. It's really good. Um, the couple of chapters that I'm speaking from today, I'm speaking uh, chapter 9 and then pass- uh, parts of chapter 10, uh, definitely pose like quite an intimidating chunk of scripture to speak from. There's so much happening in these, uh, this like chapter and a half of Luke. Um, and it's really, really uh, an exciting section of the, the Bible, but it is also a little intimidating to speak from. Um, as I was reading through it, uh, it reminded me of this other thing that I've been reading about. Um, so like I read, read sections of this, and I'm often reminded as to why people can be skeptical about like the story of Jesus. Um, so I've been learning about uh, like Ponzi schemes, like you know pyramid schemes, those commission-based you know programs that you invite people into, um, because I've got something to sell you. Uh, it's more of a triangle than a pyramid. But um, no, uh, but I've been, yeah, for whatever reason, I've been <laughs> listening to podcasts on these things. Uh, and, you know, there are, these, there are these programs with these outlandish claims where it's like, you know, you, you come in and, uh, you know, you, you invest maybe uh, $1,500 and then through some sales and then through some commissions, all of a sudden your $1,500 becomes $25,000. And that's only the average earning. But, you know, if you're really good, you know, you could earn $50,000 or $75,000 thousand dollars and people hear these things and they're like mm, that sounds a little too good to be true and they have like this you should have some healthy skepticism about those things I'm saying that um, but I'm also like reading this section of Luke and I'm like oh this sounds too good to be true like you're reading through it and you're like hey you know there's this guy who uh, you know can feed 5,000 people with only a few fish and some loaves of bread, and he can predict his own death, and he can, like, you know, heal a demon-possessed boy, and uh, he seems to be, like, you know, interacting with ghosts of long-dead prophets, uh, and he's uh, creating a new way for you to partake in the powers that he has to, like, you know, heal people and cast out demons, and he's, he's offering you a new way of life. And, like, if you're sort of selling that to someone part of you would be like, oh, there's a bit of healthy skepticism here because it sort of sounds too good to be true. Like, what's what's the catch here? Like, am I going to, you know, get caught in some FBI raid for joining this pyramid scheme? But I'm going to repeat something that I mentioned last week, which was, if you were to design a religion, or if you were to design a god, or if you were to create a messiah, 
that you would sell to people with the hopes that they would like it and want to follow it, you would not end up making the type of God that we find in the Bible. All the stuff that I mentioned, all the really cool stuff is there. But when you start listening to what Jesus teaches, when you start noticing about how Jesus was received by the rulers of the day, or when you start even seeing the goals that Jesus had with his life here on earth, you realize that Jesus was not what you expect from a ruler. He's not what you expect from a leader. He's not what you expect from a king or a messiah. And you start to realize that Jesus is different. And with a different type of king comes a different type of kingdom. And as I was trying to like sort of figure out this line to take uh, through these chapters, trying to wrestle about like how they connect and flow and what brings them all together, it sort of dawned on me that there's these, these two, uh, although there's lots of different parts of it, there seems to be these two things that Jesus is trying to do through these chapters. And it is that Jesus is trying to draw his disciples in uh, and draw his followers into a better understanding of what God's kingdom really is. And then Jesus seems to be sending them out to share this good news with the people outside the cities and the towns that the followers are used to. Jesus is building up and then Jesus is sending out. So please join me today as we we too take in that, that same message that the first disciples received all those years ago. Um, Let's pray. That seems like a good place to start. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have already ministered to us today through, uh, through the worship, through just hearing about the history of your church here. Lord, I thank you that you are present with us uh, through the prayer meeting that happens at 9 a.m. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you have been speaking to us, uh, that you are here and you are present. And so, Lord, we are praying that we would have hearts um, that are malleable and open to ministering and open to change. Lord, I pray that we have ears to hear. Um, Lord, I pray that you would um, yeah, guide the words that come out of my mouth, Lord. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to each and every one of us today. In your name, amen. So Luke chapter 9. It, it starts out with uh, Jesus sending his 12 disciples on, I guess, what you could consider like a, a mini missions trip because they, they go out for a short period of time to where Jesus sends them and then they come back in. They come back in. Uh, and so I'm going to read out the first nine verses of chapter nine. They say this, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, uh, don't take a traveler's bag or food or money or even a change of clothes. Disgusting. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake it off, shake its dust off from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they, the disciples, began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. Now, I feel like I could do a whole sermon just on what is written in those nine verses. But I want to hop through the passages and point out a few things that I feel like Jesus is teaching his disciples. And from just those nine verses, there are three key things I I really want to bring to your attention. I won't dwell on them for long, but I want to bring out these three things. And the first is authority. Now, I know when we read those passages, there is this emphasis uh, that jumps out 
on the idea that Jesus is giving his followers the power and authority to cast out demons and heal sicknesses. That is like the main thing that jumps out at you because it's a very cool thing. Like there's no way you're not going to notice that part of the verse. Uh, It's like becoming a Jedi and getting your lightsaber. You're like, this is the best part. But something that is not to be overlooked and something that is equally as powerful is that not only Jesus, uh, not only that Jesus gave them the miraculous authority to exercise power, but Jesus gave them the authority to represent him and to retell the good news to other people. Jesus, while he himself was still on earth, gave permission for his message to be spoken through the disciples. We must You've got to remember back in that time that the Bible wasn't written back then. Like, the Bible wasn't around as, as we know it. Uh, the, the New Testament didn't exist because they were currently living in the New Testament. The, the disciples didn't have, like, little handy pamphlets and tracts that they could, they could hand out with people that they came in contact with. They had to just retell their experience of what Jesus was teaching them and their experience of Jesus. And another thing to remember is... Back in those days, uh, when a leader felt that there was something worthy of sharing with people, they usually did it in one of three ways. It was done by public decree, where there was a large gathered uh, body of people, a large group of people, and the leader or representative of the leader would publicly announce this decree so that everyone heard the same thing at the same time. Or maybe it could be sent in a message, and so it was written down verbatim what the ruler or the king wanted to say, and then it was sealed with a a wax seal so that you knew what was written and then what was received was the right exact same thing for the person who was meant to receive it. Or even uh, you read about like the the Jewish um, teachers and that have spent years memorizing parts of the Old Testament, like years and years and years memorizing parts of the Old Testament so that they could recite it verbatim. Like they, they spent years just learning all the instruction of the old prophets so that they could recite it verbatim. And yet, here we see Jesus giving permission to these dudes to go out and represent him in towns and villages nearby. And keep in mind, these disciples have still so much to learn. They have still so much incorrect understanding of Jesus, even in this passage to come. But still, Jesus, God with flesh on, gives these very faulty and fallible people the authority to be vehicles for spreading the good news. And secondly, there is an emphasis on simplicity. This is where I cannot quite understand the, you know, the prosperity gospel teachers that tell you that following Jesus is going to lead to like worldly success and external happiness and all these good things. Because, I mean, look Look at what Jesus tells them. So let's just, let's just say, you know, Jesus is saying like, hey guys, I'm going to send you on a short-term mission trip. Uh, this is what's going to happen. And Peter's like, oh, okay, um, all right. Let's look at the positives in the situation. Um, all right, we're about to go out and spread the word. Um, all right, guys, let's get going. Um, uh, at least I get to bring my trusty walking stick. And then Jesus is like, no. And then Peter's like, okay, well, give me a moment, I'm going to go grab my little carry-on luggage bag. It's made with real leather. And Jesus is like, no. And Peter's like, all right, I'm just going to go pack some muesli bars and my protein shake and make sure I've got my wallet. And Jesus is like, no. 
And Peter's like, mm, okay, well, I'll be ready to head off soon. I just got to wait for my spare robe, which is currently drying on the line, and then I'll be ready to go. And Jesus is like, no. And Peter's like, right, right, right. Well, at least, you know, like the India team, it'll, it'll be nice to go and meet new people and stay at different people's houses so we can experience different cooking and different cultures. We'll hop around. And Jesus is like, no. And like, I keep going back to this idea that the message that Jesus offers and the vehicles that he uses to spread this message are not what I would have designed if I was in charge. The towns that these people are going to, the towns are not receiving some slick, well-oiled, clean, cashed-up, top-of-the-line, top-shot businessmen. The towns are receiving dirty, stinky, poor needy disciples, like these disciples are coming into the town with nothing. They need to be looked after when they enter into these towns. Like they literally have nothing to give to these people that they're going to minister to. They cannot even shout anyone lunch or coffee. They cannot trade goods. They cannot show off their very cool walking stick. Like they've got nothing. They have nothing to offer anybody when they enter into these towns except the good news of the kingdom of God. That is all they have. And the third thing is free choice. The last thing from these verses I I see is this, this free will of accepting or rejecting the message. Like again, rulers don't give you a choice on whether you accept them or not. They force servitude on you. We all know of a few countries around the world right now that rule with iron fists and you're not allowed to question the decision of the rulers or the person in charge. Otherwise, it's going to be bad news for you and your family. Bad things will happen to you. But Jesus says, if a town refuses you, just shake the dust off your feet and move on. A holy, mighty, all-powerful God also grants you the decision of saying no to the invitation into his kingdom. This should already give you like a good grasp that, that our God is, is not the same God that we see in other religions. The, the kingdom that God is building is not like earthly kingdoms. Even in other religions, what we see from God from this gospel is something unique. What we see about Jesus in this gospel is unique and remarkable. Like the concept of, of grace being given is something that, we, that something that we cannot earn and something that we do not deserve is not even found in other major religions. Um, I was reading a paper by David W. Hester. The paper was called The Concept of Grace in World Religions, and he shares the following. Uh, the founder of the International Jita Society, which is a spiritual institute, Ramananda Prasad, he asserts about Hinduism. It says, the grace of God is always available. One has to collect it. To win grace is not easy. One has to earn it by sincere spirit. The cause and effect nature of life are in direct conflict with grace. In Islam, forgiveness is based on a combination of Allah's grace and a Muslim's work. All this to say that the message that Jesus is passing on through his disciples for them to spread to others is not like any other message. And then this is further confirmed as we journey through the next few passages. So, you know, we see this normal um, escalation, that's the word I'm looking for, this normal escalation of this leader's rise to popularity and and power. So, you know, in verses 7 to 9, 
Herod, who is the ruler of Galilee, he sees this man who has been spoken about uh, in the same reverence as John the Baptist or, or the Elijah the prophet or other high-profile prophets. And, and Herod, he like wants to meet this guy. He's perked the ruler's curiosity. So Herod is like, oh, I, I really want to check out this new up-and-coming dude. And, and then in verses 10 through 17... Uh, there's this time when, you know, the multitudes are just following Jesus all around the place. And so Jesus starts doing these huge miracles. Like he feeds over 5,000 people only using a few loaves and a few fish. So Jesus is, is building this momentum. He's gaining momentum. And, and then even when he goes into solitude with his own disciples in verses eight to, 18 to 20, uh, he's, he's talking with them. And Peter, Peter is pumping Jesus up. He's like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably like pushing his chest and he's like, you know, chest butting and all this sort of stuff. And he's like, you know, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some people say that you're Elijah or Elisha. Some people say that, you know, you're all these other prophets. But I say that you are the Messiah. You know, you are sent from God. You're the big dog. You know, you're the one that we've been waiting for. You know, doing all these things. Like, so Jesus is going up and up and up. And so like, People from the rulers to the multitudes to even his own disciples are just like, yes, we are on the train to victory. We're getting there. And now, if you know anything about marketing, you know, you need to build on any goodwill that you have with the public. You know, you need to make sure that you get the most out of everything. You need to get your face out there to maximize exposure, blah, 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 blah. So this would be the time for Jesus to, you know, really throw down the big stuff. And after all these things are happening. This high tide that Jesus and his disciples are riding. Jesus does the opposite. Jesus grounds his disciples once again with a passage that we find in the very next verses, 21 to 27. And let me hit you with some of the highlights from this little passage. Jesus tells them, the Son of Man, Jesus himself, must suffer many terrible things. Jesus will be rejected by the religious leaders of the day. Jesus will be killed, and if you want to follow him, you must give up living your own life and take up your cross daily. So imagine just the air getting sucked out of the room, silence. Peter is a bit awkward there with his high five hanging in the air. There's a disciple, an annoying disciple in the background muttering, awkward. Jesus isn't about to send his disciples out into the big wide world sprouting half-truths. If they go out and they share the amazing stories of full tummies, healed kids, jars of great wine, blind people seeing, that is only, and that, if that is the only message that they share, they are also missing out on the other side of the good news that involves us taking on the mind of Christ, which Jesus is slowly revealing to his disciples. The mind of Christ, which is not about being in the ruling class, the mind of Christ, which often leads to rejection from those in power and those wanting to hold on to control. The mind of Christ, which has a sacrificial love at the center of his actions. Uh, let me read out the last verses of chapter 9. And it has a little heading, the cost of following Jesus. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed. 
But he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. But first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in The Cost of Discipleship, to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before, no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, he leads the way, keep close to him. The cost of following Christ isn't giving up family and giving up everything, but it is to have everything in its right order. It is to put everything in its in its proper list of priorities. And Christ is always first on that list. Jesus could see this in this interaction with this man that uh, Christ was not going to be first on this man's list of priorities. And when Christ is first on the list, the path that it leads us down isn't always predictable, and which is what Jesus was sharing with his disciples. Uh, Bonhoeffer writes again, And if we answer the call to discipleship, where will it lead us? What decisions and partakings will it demand? To answer this question, we shall have to follow him, for only he knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us to follow him, knows how the journeys end. But we do know that it will be a road of boundless mercy, because discipleship means joy. If you remember at the start of this message, uh, I mentioned that Jesus seemed to be doing two things. Uh, Jesus seems to be drawing his disciples and his followers into a better understanding of what, the, uh, what God's kingdom is. And then Jesus is also then sending his disciples and his followers out to share the good news with people that are outside the cities and the towns that they're usually journeying in. Jesus is teaching his followers what it really means to represent Jesus accurately. But the second part of this is not just the teaching, but the representing or the representing, the sending out. We step now into chapter 10, and I want to read uh, verses 1 to 3 and then skip down to verses 21 to 24. Please feel free to read the verses in between. Um, I don't think they change what I'm sharing for this section. Now the Lord chose, so Jesus uh, now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. And then from verse 21. At the same time, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chose to reveal him. Then when they were alone, he turned to his disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes to see what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings have longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Jesus added to the number of people he is sending out after sending out the initial twelve. He's gone from 12 plus another 72, which is like 
three times the amount of people, maybe. I'm not good at math. Uh, but, like, we, we speak a, a lot about whole-of-life discipleship at this church. That is, all of life is ministry. We, we talk a whole lot about representing Jesus in all that we do, with all that we have, to everyone in every part of our life. Our, our vision, of course, is to build disciples who rep- represent Jesus to everyone, everywhere, with everything. But this does not negate or exclude the fact that there is also a burden on us to simply share the good news, to be sent out into the fields knowing that there is a great harvest, to speak about the crazy and remarkable truth of Jesus that twists our world upside down. Jesus says in those last verses that it it pleases God to reveal to the people other than those who are wise and those who are clever. All these incredible things. And instead, God revealed his truth to simple, ordinary, plain people. And not just revealing his truth about his kingdom, but he is also entrusting his truth to be passed on by these people. He not just tells you about his truth, but he entrusts it to you. John Ortberg writes this. God has entrusted us with his most precious treasure, people. He asks us to shepherd and mold them into strong disciples with brave faith and good character. Uh, A common definition of the word entrust is to commit to another with confidence, as in to give a thing or to give a task to someone else with the confidence that it will be safe in their hands. And I guess I hope we realize the weight of what has been given to us. God has entrusted his redemptive plan to Jesus. And Jesus gives us the authority and the power to bring that message to the towns and the villages, the homes and the workplaces, the schools and the universities, the independent living communities and the hospitals. God trusts us to go and to tell everyone about the kingdom of God, the kingdom that lets sinners become saints, the kingdom that lets broken people share in the glory of becoming God's children, the kingdom that rewards humility and sacrifice and mercy, the kingdom that is open to the undeserving and the unworthy, the kingdom that places treasure in jars of clay, We'll we'll be preaching from Acts later in this year, but I want to share a a little verse from Acts 4.31 with you. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they preached the word of God with boldness. The believers prayed for courage and boldness in preaching God's word, and the Holy Spirit filled them with boldness. I know it's not always to speak out. I know it's not always to speak up. But God doesn't extend his grace to us for us to hold it all inside and keep it to ourselves. And instead, God invites us into his kingdom, not so that we can build up the walls and keep people out, but for us to walk around to the nearby suburbs, to the neighbor's house, to the next cubicle. I'm talking about workplaces, not toilets, but like, you know, to your workmate's cubicle, and to hand out invitations for people to step into this kingdom. 
let's challenge ourselves. Let me challenge you. Let me challenge myself. That if you're a follower of Jesus, let's challenge ourselves to pray for boldness as we preach the word. Let's submit ourselves to the, to, to the true teaching of, of Jesus, the upside-down kingdom. Let's pray for boldness in speaking to someone this week. I put a deadline. We love deadlines. Let's pray for boldness to speak to someone this week about the life-changing good news that only Jesus brings. Let's trust that the Holy Spirit can take this backwards, upside-down message and allow it to transform someone's life. Because we must realize the weight of what we have been given. We must realize the weight of what we have been invited into. We have been invited into a kingdom that allows us to become family with the king. A kingdom that allows us in all of our flaws, in all of our failures, to be vehicles for a message to be spread. A kingdom that is not chasing the high flyers and the super perfect people to be the brand ambassadors, but a kingdom that is redeeming and equipping broken people to retell the story of God changing their life. Yeah? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for you. I thank you for your goodness and your goodness to us. Lord, I thank you that at times your message seems confronting because it doesn't seem to be what we would have chosen to be. But I guess if we're honest, if we had designed a God, we probably would not have been on the list of followers that you would have been looking for. And so, Lord, I thank you that you take these imperfect people and you are redeeming us and you are equipping us to be your vehicles. Lord, I thank you that you entrust us with the message of salvation to spread to others. Lord, I thank you that you have invited us into your kingdom and that you are entrusting us to pass this invitation on to other people. So Lord, I pray for boldness. I pray for courage as we speak the word of God. I pray for boldness and I pray for courage for every person in this space, every person watching online, every person who will listen later on this week. Lord, I pray for boldness and courage to speak the word of God. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will go out and it will minister to hearts and minds and change lives. Lord, the workers are few. The harvest is great. Lord, I pray that we would take up the responsibility of what we've been called to do, to be your disciples, to represent you to everyone, everywhere, with everything. Lord, we accept the cost of discipleship because we want to follow you. In your mighty name we pray these things. Amen.